0: The Great British Manufacturing Podcast, brought to you by MTV, MFG, and Jefferson. Hello and welcome to this week's Great British Manufacturing Podcast. On this week's show, we will review the latest positive news from the British manufacturing sector and we will welcome a special guest, Fahim Khan, Senior Economist at Make UK. We've also got positive UK manufacturing news from the likes of Nissan, Haribo, JLR, and many, many more. But just before we start with the positive news, I'd like to welcome two businesses to the Factory Now platform. FactoryNow is a platform where manufacturers can collaborate, they can boost sales, they can look to reshore. And new members this week include MRP Easy, a cloud-based manufacturing ERP system specifically for small manufacturers, as well as Kent-based shape metal specialist contracts engineering. For more information on this platform, please contact inquiries at mtdmfg.com to discuss joining the platform. I'm Joe Reynolds, and this week I'm joined by my co host, Stuart Whitehead. Stuart, let's jump straight in. The new cash entered production at the Sunderland plant. We covered this a while ago, but now the car is in production. Good
1: morning, everyone. Yes, following a £400 million investment, the latest version of the crossover is now rolling off the plant to production line one as the factory celebrates 35 years of manufacturing in the UK. More than 3.5 million Sunderland built cash cars have been sold since its launch in 2007. And to celebrate this new generation model, the car major is offering every skilled child in the Northeast the opportunity to take part in a Nissan Skills Foundation event. The company's programme of activities designed to promote careers in manufacturing and engineering. Designed, engineered and built in Britain, the Qashqai supports more than 7,000 direct jobs, would you believe, and a further 24,000 across the UK supply chain.
0: It's fantastic, isn't it? All around the supply chain, the jobs and what they're doing with STEM engagement. You know, that, that's, that's pioneering. More should follow.
1: Absolutely. Um, it's fantastic what they're doing.
0: Yeah, and Haribo, they're investing £22 million into uh, into the new West Yorkshire site. Um, my kids love these sweets, and
1: looking at the investment, they're not alone. No, I think we all do. Uh, so German-owned confectionery manufacturer, state strategic investment demonstrates the firm's commitment to the UK and will be rolled out throughout this year. It will deliver additional capacity, greater efficiencies, and reduce costs at the site, which produces 30,000 tonnes of sweets each year. So plenty for your kids there, Joe. The investment will also look to ensure the manufacturer maintains its market-leading position in the UK by meeting changing consumer habits by supporting the reformulation of products, reducing sugar, and creating treats that deliver greater choice to retailers and shoppers. Um Jaguar Land Rover, they're
0: developing a hydrogen-powered prototype vehicle. Uh, this is an interesting development. We talk a lot about electrification, but obviously JLR edging their bets looking at hydrogen also.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and we are seeing... Other firms looking at hydrogen as you as you say. So based on the new Defender model, Britain's biggest car maker is developing a prototype hydrogen fuel cell electric vehicle, FCEV for short, with testing scheduled to begin this year. The concept car is part of JLR's aim to achieve zero tailpipe emissions by twenty thirty six and net zero carbon emissions across its supply chain products and operations by twenty thirty-nine project, known as Project Zeus, is part-funded by the government-backed Advanced Propulsion Centre and will allow engineers to understand how a hydrogen py- powertrain can be optimised to deliver the performance and capability expected by its customers. It we'll take a break there, Stuart, as I'd like to
0: introduce this week's very special guest, Faheen Khan, Senior Economist at Make UK. Fahin, a very warm welcome to today's podcast. Thank you very much for having me. Yep. Just to start, can you tell us a little bit about your career date, and also an introduction to Make UK?
2: Yeah, I mean, just to start off with myself, um, so I'm one of the senior economists, as you mentioned, at Make UK. I work within the policy team. Um, before this, I was actually a, a, still a graduate uh, doing my master's in school. Uh, I spent some time as, as an economic consultant for about six months. and This is my first job, essentially. Uh, since finishing, and it's been an interesting journey. Um, for those of you who don't know, Make UK are the leading uh, manufacturers, UK manufacturers trade association. We are um, support and champion the manufacturing sector. We're enable uh, in 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 skills, in 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 finance, and policy. Um, my role is dict- dictated towards policy. Our objective is to ensure that all government policy, regulations, legislations, anything that might impact manufacturers are designed in the most appropriate way so that it allows the sector to prosper and grow.
0: So what what does that mean on a daily basis? What what do you do on a daily basis in terms of your role and responsibilities?
2: Yeah, um, so on a daily I suppose my primary purpose is to produce economic reports. Um, one of those which we will talk about later on is the manufacturing outlook, which tries to understand the uh, the kind of the quarterly um, performance of manufacturers. Um, and we use that data to actually influence government to show them how manufacturers, when they're struggling, when they're doing well and what sort of, um, I guess, what sort of policies that we should either enact or at least adapt existing policies in order to best support that sector but on the side we also look at policy um i guess commissioned reports that try to understand the kind of microeconomic level Um, so for example looking at the regional impact of different policies trying to understand how manufacturing in the west midlands might be different to the northeast or the northwest really to ensure that the support is not necessarily uniform, but actually tries to understand that manufacturing as an industry is incredibly diverse. Um, And my day to day can go from anything from producing these reports as tries to understand um, those differences to, um, producing comments on such as, let's say, the PMI that comes out on a monthly basis to try and understand what actually the the PMI's figures would mean for the manufacturers in the UK. And it, it's, it's quite variable. Um, it's not exactly what you'd expect an economist to do in other industries, but it is quite an interesting role um, that I have here.
1: Good morning, Fahin. Thanks for joining us this morning. As you mentioned earlier, um, we're here specifically today to talk about the Manufacturing Outlook
2: report. So first question, what is it? Yeah, um, so the Manufacturing Outlook report, it is a survey that's been conducted for about just over 30 years now. Um, It essentially looks at the performance of manufacturers using five or six various metrics on a quarterly basis asking our members, so we direct this survey to our members, whether they have seen an increase or decrease or no change in a particular metric in the last three months. To give you an example of that, the the indicators that we track include output, orders, uh, employment and investment intentions, which is actually a more forward-looking indicator. And for the last eight years or so, we've also been tracking levels of average confidence in your business and the UK economy. It's an interesting survey, but it it is also worth understanding how to represent that data. Um, So we report the figures as balances of change. So we look at those who say that they have seen an improvement in, let's say, output versus those that have seen a decrease in output. And we try to get an understanding of what the general direction that sector has moved in the last quarter. Um, So it's a very good tracker of understanding what direction that sector is going, but not necessarily a tracker of the magnitudes of change.
1: And just on the mechanics of that. Is it weighted then? So if you're a larger manufacturer reporting positive news compared to a smaller SME reporting negative news, for example, do you take that into consideration?
2: Um, we do take that into consideration. The data itself is not weighted, but we do break down the data via um, employment band groupings and turnover bands to try to understand Um, You know, how does the average figures actually differ if you were to break down the survey sample to just SMEs only, which would be under 250 employees um, or below 25 million in in turnover for our definitions? And how do the figures differ for large firms if they were, um, you know, above the 25 million figure or above the 250 employment band size? So we do look at that, but we don't weight the actual average headline figures to account for that.
1: Thanks for clarifying that. And um, the quarter two survey has been published this week in partnership with BDO.
2: What does it tell us about the state of the sector? So this has been a very interesting survey for us. I mean, of course, we've just been in a pandemic and what we have found is that manufacturers have essentially outperformed their expectations. So I should have mentioned just, this, just a moment ago that not only do we track what uh, manufacturers have performed in the last three months, but we also ask them what they think they will achieve in the next three months, just to give a bit of an outlook on what the next quarter looks like. Um, manufacturers have had a pretty difficult year. I mean, they faced uh, almost a triple threat of disasters. Uh, Many of those are still ongoing. We could say the TCA, which is following the the UK's exit from the European Union, the COVID-19 pandemic, and also more recently, supply chain disruptions. But despite all that, Uh, manufacturers outperformed their expectations. They reported a balance of 36% on output, which is the highest that we have ever recorded on our survey history. Um, In words, what does that actually mean? It just means that um, it's the largest share of manufacturers ever recorded that have experienced an improvement in output in the last three months relative to those that have reported a decrease. And we can see that sort of, um, I guess, indicator being reported across the board. Particularly on the orders levels, which is actually the second highest figure um, at 34%. The domestic market for UK orders has come up at 27%. These all can be described in a very similar way. It's the the weighting towards those who have improved versus those who have um, actually worsened. The improvement essentially dominates um, the sector. And what and I guess what we what has surprised us about these surveys and these very overly robust figures is that. We were always expecting some sort of pent up demand to take shape uh, eventually in manufacturing. If you suppress a sector artificially, eventually it's going to rebound at some point. And we were always expecting this was going to happen later down the line, maybe six months on from now. And it caught us off guard a little bit how early that's come. The indicators suggest that 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 bounce back has started much, much earlier than previous. And what we can take away from that is just how resilient the manufacturing sector is. Even during a crisis, we we expect a sector like manufacturing to be pretty vulnerable, but that doesn't seem to be the case. It seems that many have actually learned. You could go into the reasons why we think that they were able to be so um, resilient, why they were able to bounce back quicker. And I think it's partly down to the difference in how the sectors had to deal with the pandemic in comparison to other sectors. Manufacturing as an industry was not um required to shut down so they had to actually learn from the pandemic in a different way they had to learn how to operate in factories using under social restrictions Um, and that has enabled the sector to be more prepared even if lockdowns were to be reenacted it didn't affect the manufacturing sector as much as it would let's say hospitality and the mood has certainly changed from doom and gloom to a sense of real possibilities and opportunities. But we would say that there is an essence of caution to be had with these figures is that the sector did lose about 10 percent of its um, sector value to in during the year of 2020, which equates to about 18 billion pounds in GVA, gross value added. Um, And at the moment, the sector is still behind where it was pre-pandemic. So it's still catching up. And this doesn't necessarily mean new growth, but it is a good indicator that 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 we're going to go back to where we were um, sooner than expected. And just to kind of finish up, we have revised our forecast for manufacturing uh, output levels for for the year 2021 um we we expect them to grow by about 7.8 percent actually we expect manufacturing the industry to outgrow the kind of average uk economy which we think will grow about 7.5 percent in 2021 so it's really really robust and it's uh and we're really happy about these results and we hope that the uh the manufacturing community should also feel quite positive about what they have seen in the last three months
1: it's certainly been well received when we reported them and um so is it is it fair to say that We are experiencing a V-shaped recovery, or is it too early to to, to say that?
2: Um, If you were to look at the numbers and were to plot them on on a line graph and you're looking at the growth rates, it does actually appear to be a V-shaped recovery. That being said, there's going to be a lot of sectoral differences within manufacturing. Um, The V-shaped recovery will be for sectors that are tend to be more resilient during a crisis like food and drink. Um, we know certainly that the pharmaceutical industry did not see a massive collapse during 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 the pandemic. Um, but then there are industries like aerospace, which are actually still struggling and actually is one of the only four industries that we still forecast will probably still decline just as long as um, air travel restrictions persist. though so that sector is just not going to recover. So there's going to be differences there. But on average, it does appear to be fee-like shape recovery. It's
0: fascinating. Thank you very much for that. It, it's, uh, and it all sounds pretty positive. But if you were to look at this report, I think you just alluded to it slightly, but if you, if you were to look at the 2019 report for this quarter, uh, how, how far away are we behind that?
2: So actually, 2019 was a, a peculiar year, of course, as well, because the sector was also still facing a massive amount of uncertainty due to the Brexit negotiations that we had between the UK and the EU. Um, at the moment, we see that the sector is still um, about 10 billion, um, sorry, £18 billion pounds behind where it was pre-pandemic, which is about where it ended at Q4 2019. And to, more, to compare this more directly from 12 months on, so given that we're in Q2, and if we look at this from Q2 2020, which is when exactly the pandemic roughly started, um, certainly the, 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 the widespread of declines that our survey reported in that quarter, which is exactly 12 months ago, are much more severe than the improvement in output and orders we have seen in this quarter. Um, so on balance, currently, the downs do outweigh the ups. Um, so there's still some out some catching up to do in that sector.
1: And when when do you anticipate the 18 billion pound actually being recovered, or um, to to get back to where we were? Really, how how long will that take? Do you think?
2: Yeah. So we we have done some. Uh, work on making those sort of forecasts. We have made a few assumptions which I think are worth mentioning that we have we do we are assuming that the the vaccination strategy um, is going to be pretty successful and it's going to enable the society to essentially return to something as close to normal as possible and that they were not going to go back to the level of restrictions that we've had since in, during the peak of the pandemic. Um, our forecasts do indicate that sometime by the end of 2022, um, the manufacturing sector by billions of pounds of gross value added will go back to where it was in 2019. And that's roughly six months, six to 12 months sooner than our previous forecast suggested when we were expecting a much slower recovery. Um, Just to put that in hindsight of other crises in the past, like let's say the global financial crisis, this is a very optimistic forecast. Um, I mean, I don't know if you guys have ever looked at the numbers for the global financial crisis and how that affected manufacturing, but that also wiped out approximately a very similar um, amount of gross value added from the manufacturing sector. And that actually took almost... Uh, Ten years to recover, um, just because the 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 type of the crisis was so different. Whereas in this case, the the crisis is not necessarily that manufacturers and businesses and households don't want to spend money or they don't want to invest. It's just that they were unable to or they were artificially held back from doing that. And because that they've been finally the shackles have been mostly unleashed, um, we do expect that the the forecasts or at least our current forecast assumes that we could get back to it in 2022 that is an upside again i would caution there is also possibilities that things can go wrong um with new variants let's say uh potential returns to strict lockdowns you know if you were to account for these type of issues then 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 it could take a lot longer than than that year but we're pretty optimistic with the, with the forecast at the moment
0: and you mentioned aerospace you know we, we talk with a lot of people um we visit a lot of companies. In aerospace, clearly, they're having challenging times at the moment. Um, mm-hmm. Are there any other sectors that ha- that haven't bounced back? I- I'm thinking automotive. I know we've got the supply chain issues currently, but th- they remain strong.
2: Yeah, uh, actually, automotives had one of the, I suppose, one of the most severe declines in 2020 that we recorded. And actually, we do um, our forecast to indicate that they are going to experience a significant bounce back um, in output. Uh, just because demand is so high for for vehicles at the moment uh, and not just, um, I guess, personal vehicles, which I think the secondhand car market is also currently booming uh, because of that. But also just sort of business um, travels, um, vehicles, heavy goods vehicles, that sort of thing. Um, the only issues that the automotive sector does currently face is a more supply side um, there are shortages of certain components, particularly electrical uh, components from the electronics sector. Um, it is not clear from our side where where those supply side issues are originating from, but from what we understand, is to do mainly with semiconductors and potential chips. But again, it's not necessarily clear whether that's chip manufacturers or it's actually the the kind of the raw material. Uh, the miners for for copper and, and and zinc and that sort of those sort of elements um, that are struggling uh to, to fill that supply
0: sure and and just on the uh aerospace sector depending I, I read lots of reports and and sound bites from stakeholders from within that sector and some people are talking about 2030 2035 before it makes a full recovery is, is that something you're predicting or you've been a bit more optimistic?
2: We don't have a full prediction on when it's going to recover, but we do tend to get very similar reports from our members in aerospace. Um, the way they see it, the story is very different from what the Q two and manufacturing outlook has reported. Um, in many cases, they firms like in that industry in aviation were down from like eighty to one hundred percent of their usual output levels, and maybe. 12 months on, that they're now currently down by only 70 or 60 percent. So they're just in a slightly better place than they were, but they still have a very long way to go. And the only restrictions to that is as long as there are travel restrictions, as long as there are um, anything that impacts the supply chains of aerospace or even the oil and gas industry, um, which where oil prices are also rising right now, then that is going to hold back the aerospace industry. If we want to think about it slightly more stretched about how this, whether or not how easy it is for this sector to come back, it is very difficult, particularly from airports reopening. Um, so so, so th- there's a difference between opening an airport like Heathrow in the UK, which uh, it can generate quite a lot of income because it has a lot of business, it has a lot of activity, uh, as opposed to um, reopening airports that are in the north of England or in other town areas, which tend to um, run on very high marginal costs. Um, so, so, so there could be issues there where actually even when the demand for flight does come back, that it may not necessarily be that easy for airports around the world to deliver on on locations and destinations, and it's only going to be these sort of major city airports that are be able to open. Um, very quickly, just because of the demand that they can attract, um, so there are going to be issues there, um, and it is one is probably the only sector that we're still concerned about.
1: That makes sense. And in the shorter term, what are manufacturers telling us about quarter three? How confident are they?
2: Yeah. Um, so here's, here's I think something interesting is quite worth mentioning. Just before I go into that, we 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 tend we can plot the the forecasts that manufacturers have made. Um, on a quarterly basis, um, historically, and match that due to what the actual outcome was in our quarterly survey. And historically, manufacturers are actually really good at predicting what the next quarter is going to look like. And they should be, it's their business. And if you don't know what's happening in the next three months, then that's a problem. The only thing that we have seen slightly change is that since the pandemic started and the economic environment became super uncertain, predictions from manufacturers became largely more erratic and and inconsistent. In most cases, when they were expecting this economy to decline, they actually outdone their expectations and it declined more than they expected it to. And when they expected the growth to occur, that again, manufacturers outdid their own expectations and it grew more than twice as much as they expected. So for this quarter, I think manufact- um, the, the, the current level of output was actually like twice as much as what manufacturers predicted, and they do expect for the next three months um, that all of our indicators, so that is output, orders, employment, um, and even investment, um, is expected to expand much further. So we're looking to break the current records again uh, in the next quarter, but... Given how uncertain the environment has been, it is difficult to say how right they're going to be at this current situation. But so far, they've been right in a good way. So when they think that when they expect things to be good, it's been better than good. Um, so if we can keep that going, then we should be pretty confident about the future.
0: Yeah, again, fascinating stuff. Just the final one for me. How about how's... um. Employment looking. Obviously, we're talking about um, we're talking a lot about STEM and apprenticeships at the moment, but just in, in employment as a whole, how, how has that been the last quarter?
2: Another one of our very positive figures. It wasn't record breaking by any means, but we got an employment balance of twenty percent, so a positive twenty percent, meaning that. On balance, 20% of manufacturers more saw an increase in employment levels than those that saw a decrease in employment levels. And that is despite the JRS being active. Um, what that indicates to us is that because of the sharp rise in demand, manufacturers do need workers again to, to fulfill that, for, to fulfill those workloads. What we are finding is that there is an issue with um, labor shortages in many industries, particularly in the kind of high skill areas. Uh, manufacturers or our members have indicated to us that they are Having to sharply raise wages now um, in order to keep their best and brightest talent. It's difficult to say what is the cause of that uh, labor shortage. It's probably a mixture of people p- potentially still on furlough um, and don't necessarily want to come back to work yet, or at least the offer of not working is probably better than actually working. But then there's also an issue of maybe the, the manufacturing sector was somewhat reliant on EU workers, and many of those have actually left the UK. So. We're, we're positive that there is a demand for labor. We're quite concerned about the shortages of labor and that how that is going to impact wages. If wages rise, that's, of course, good for people. Um, but if that does filter into the price of products and goods, then that actually can end up being a, a fairly negative issue in the long run um, if inflation goes up.
0: Yeah, fascinating stuff, Faheen. Th- thank you so much for coming on the podcast today and giving our listeners an insight to the report. Where's the best place to find this report if they want to learn more?
2: Yeah, uh it's the website. It, well, the report is publicly available on our website. Um, it is... Easy, It's pretty easy to download right now. I would also just sort of add as a kind of, I suppose, a little preview is that we are also currently looking at the the kind of the regional perspective of this quarterly survey. Um, So we look at the data of the last 12 months and how that actually compares to regions. And that's going to be out next month. So I would keep an eye out for that as well. Thank you.
0: Brilliant, Fahim. Thank you so much for coming on the uh, the podcast. It's been fantastic, and uh, we'll see you
1: soon. It
2: was a pleasure. Thank you very much,
0: Stuart. What a fantastic guest! It's just great to you know dive into the details of the numbers of these reports, isn't it?
1: Absolutely. With the output, new jobs being created, the confidence in the sector—not just now, but for you know in the near future as well—and very confident the aerospace sector will recover um, in due course as well.
0: Yeah, if you want to feature on this podcast, please do reach out to us, podcast at mtdmfg.com. It would be great to feature you, whether you're at large, large manufacturer you know a global blue chip but you know good old sme as well we we want to cover everyone on this show um and also please do download the mtd mfg app it's in all the usual app stores and please download it to uh, get exclusive content but we'll get back on the news uh french owned f and r that you know they're expanding their footprint in the uk
1: yes they are um Inward Investment News, which is always very welcome, always very popular on the MTD and Jefferson platform. Um, Southwest of England, nuclear sector has received a major boost with international engineering manufacturing and support company, Ethanor, opening a new technology centre in the Bristol area. Nuclear Southwest, the organisation which champions the region, has has welcomed the expansion, creation of 60 highly skilled jobs, which they say demonstrates the strength and resilience of the region's nuclear sector. The firm's new manufacturing and technology centre in Avonmouth near Bristol will support the construction of the, the Hinckley Point C nuclear pa- power plant in Somerset.
0: Speaking of the new factories, Biopure Technology, what do you know about
1: this one? Work is underway, constructing a new 120,000 square foot production facility for them. They manufacture fluid path components for the biotechnology industry. Don't ask me to explain what that means. Located at the Port, Portsmouth City Council-owned Dunsbury Park, the investment is expected to create 120 jobs, which I do understand. Biopure is part of the Watson-Marlow Fluid, fluid Technology Group, a wholly owned subsidiary of Spirex Sarco, a global organisation employing around about 4,800 people worldwide. Yeah, guess what's next? Another new facility. This time,
0: IDMH
1: set to create 200 jobs in Sheffield. Yeah, we've seen quite a few new facilities and factories in this sector. So modular house manufacturer um, IDMH has established a new base in South Yorkshire to support its expansion. The firm already has a 50,000 square foot facility in Liverpool where it employs around about 70 people, whereas the the new site is three times the size. I think it's over 200,000 square feet. 35 people are currently employed in Sheffield and the firm expects this to rise to 80 over the next few months with the workforce set to reach 200 in the next year.
0: Uh, This next story, this this got a lot of traction on social media. A lot of it's down to some nice imagery and what have you, but Vertical Aerospace secures flying taxis orders from Virgin and American Airlines. Good news.
1: It certainly is a great story, and um, this company has really worked hard over the last five, six years to, to, to develop this. So Bristol's Vertical Aerospace has announced 1,000 pre-orders for its all-electric flying taxes after confirming it will become publicly traded on the New York Stock Exchange. The aerospace firm, which was founded in 2016 to develop the world's first all-electric vertical, vertical take-off and landing aircraft, has received pre-orders from Dublin-based Avalon, American Airlines, and a pre-order option from Virgin Atlantic worth £4 billion, and that's also secured investment from Microsoft, Honeywell, Rolls-Royce, and others. According to the firm, which unveiled its designs last year, we we reported on it, the vehicle will be able to carry four passengers for 120 miles at speeds at more than 200 miles an hour, so better than an Uber. Yeah, it's just like like the movies,
0: isn't it? I can't think of one off the (laughs) top of my head, but back in the day, you'd look at these movies, and you'd think, crikey, that's never going to happen, but it it, it looks like it is.
1: Yeah, it certainly does, Joe.
0: And the final one today, the government, they were reportedly in talks with up to six companies about new gigafactories. We talk about gigafactories most weeks here on the show, and this week's uh, no
1: different. Absolutely. So this broke in, in the last few minutes, really. So Britain is reportedly in talks with six companies for building gigafactories, as you say. to to produce factories and credit to the financial times they were the first to report this um, citing people briefed on the discussions companies in in question are ford nissan lg samsung and startups british vault and inobat auto they're in contact with the government and local authorities about locations and also funding for potential factories um, across the uk Just to give you a bit of context, so far there are 38 planned gigafactories across Europe, according to Green Lobby Group Transport and Environment, with only British vaults project being disclosed in the UK. In early stage talks with the British government, Ford has indicated it was exploring making batteries in the UK that would be shipped to Turkey for use in a planned electric version of its its transport van, which we covered in, in a previous podcast.
0: Yeah, well, let's hope at least some of these come off um, because we need them. So fingers crossed they all come off, of course.
1: Absolutely, yeah. We can't be too greedy, but yeah, it'd be great to have six, but uh, two or three would be fantastic.
0: That brings this week's podcast to a close. Thank you, as always. There's more news on our website. We don't get a chance to cover everything on this podcast. Please follow us on social media at MTDMFG and at Jefferson underscore MFG. Thanks to Stuart. Thanks to Make UK for joining us on this week's podcast. But most importantly, the biggest thank you, as always, goes to you at home for listening. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to The Great British Man podcast don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and a review you can find us on twitter using at mtdmfg and at jefferson underscore mfg